You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. As we continue our study through the book of Romans, and as this morning I preached the second half of a sermon, the first half of which I preached last Sunday. The title, What Kind of Faith is Saving Faith? What Kind of Faith is Saving Faith? Do you have it? What does it feel like? How much faith do you have to have? How can you measure faith in the first place? What kind of faith is saving faith? Do you know for certain that you have God's wonderful gift of eternal life? The only way to get it is by an expression of this saving faith. God will give it to you. He's so gracious and wonderful. He wants you to have it. And I'm praying this morning there'll be those who'll say, look, the time is now. Today, I'm going to trust in Jesus alone as my Savior. Let's read it aloud together. That reading of the Word means so much. We want to go on record as affirming it. As we read together, beginning with verse 16, we'll read right down through the closing verse of chapter 4. Let's read it together. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which are not, as though they were, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this is your word. It is the authority in our lives, and we know that all of it is true and that your desire this morning is to speak by your spirit through this, your word. O heavenly Father, we know that it's not with clever words of men's wisdom that lives are changed but when your Holy Spirit moves in power. And so, Father, together, in concert, we ask you this morning to move among us. We come before you not in our own righteousness, for we know that all of our righteousness is filthy rags before you, but we come, Heavenly Father, in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, clothed in him, our Lord and Savior. And we ask you, Father, in Jesus' name and by the authority of your word and because of the wonderful shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. We ask you to move in power. We ask you, Lord, to stand against 
every spirit that would confuse and frustrate and distract us. And we ask you, Father, to bring peace to our hearts and fill our hearts, Lord, for we are thirsty this morning. We need a word from you. We need our lives to be changed. And we know, Heavenly Father, that, that will come as you move among us in power by your Spirit. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior and the Master of our lives. Amen. Now I'm going to ask you, if you will, please to open your Bible once again to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, as we continue our study through the book of Romans. And more specifically, as we answer this question this morning, what kind of faith is saving faith? Do you have it? What does it feel like? I've often heard people say, you know, preacher, I don't know if I have enough faith to be saved. Well, how much faith is enough faith to be saved? How can you measure faith anyway? Do you have enough? Do you have too little to be saved? Is God really concerned about how much faith you have? If you have the kind of faith that is saving faith, how does it express itself? How can you know that you have it? What do you have to say in order to be saved? Is there any place in the Bible where specific words are given to us? Or does God simply look at faith? And if so, what kind of faith is saving faith? Now, that's the subject for the message this morning. The first part of this message I preached last Sunday. And this is the second half of that message as we continue our study through Romans. Now, the Apostle Paul has taken a great deal of time. He's gone to great length in his letter to the Romans to establish this simple fact. All of us have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. But since all have sinned, then if God, who is perfectly just, is also perfectly loving, when he gives us a plan for people to come to know him, to be made right with him or to be reconciled with him, it must also be available to all men. But all men won't see a church building. All men won't hear sermons preached. And so what kind of a plan is it that God has given to the world? Well, the Apostle Paul says, while all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, there is a gift. It is a grace gift from God. It is the gift of salvation. And justification is by faith. That is, we are declared right with God. That's what that word justification means. We are declared right with God by faith faith. Now, the Apostle Paul knew that there would be some people reading this letter who would say, but what about all of the works of the law? From our background steeped in Jewish tradition and in Jewish law, what about the works of the law? What about our religion? What about our rituals? And so the Apostle Paul reaches back into the very heritage of the Jews, and he himself was one of the most noted of the Jews, having one of the finest Jewish genealogies any man could profess, being trained to sit in the Sanhedrin, the court of the Jews, before he was converted. The Apostle Paul back, reaches back and gets the most noted of all the Jews, the father of the faith, Abraham. Did you know that in the New Testament, apart from the name of Jesus, and even including the names of all of the apostles, the name of Abraham is the most often mentioned name in the New Testament. He is a picture of what it means to be saved by faith. 
And this beautiful fourth chapter of the book of Romans is a biographical sketch of Abraham in his discovery that a man is made right with God, not by works, not by rituals or religion, but he is made right with God as he comes before God in faith, trusting upon what it is that the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of God who is our Lord Jesus, would accomplish on the cross. Now, in the closing verses of Romans 4, the Apostle Paul deals with an issue that is pertinent to every one of us here. If we are saved by faith, then what kind of faith is it that is saving faith? And that's the issue of this message. What kind of faith is saving faith? Last Sunday morning, as we looked at these verses, I shared with you three characteristics of saving faith. This morning, I want to share three more with you. But let's briefly review those three characteristics, lest we forget, of saving faith, which I shared with you last Sunday morning. The Apostle Paul says, in the first place, saving faith is the kind of faith that has the Lord God alone as its object. It doesn't trust in church. It doesn't trust in religion. It doesn't trust in good works. It has the Lord God alone as its object. We read that in verses 16 and 17. And especially in verse 17, we're told that Abraham believed on him, and that is, even God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which are not as though they were. And in case we might overlook that, the Apostle Paul repeats it in the closing verses of this chapter, but he says, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, that means we are credited with salvation, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord, from the dead. Now, once again, let me remind you that God is not so interested in the amount of your faith as he is the object of your faith. I have put a lot of faith in some men who have ultimately let me down. By and large, I have put probably little faith, although as much as I thought I could have, little faith in Jesus by comparison, but the Lord Jesus has never let me down. The amount of faith I have in this platform has nothing to do with whether it holds me up. It is the substance of this platform that is holding me up. And so the Scripture says it is not the amount of our faith that is the issue. It is the object of our faith. And if you have your faith in anyone or anything else other than the Lord God alone, you do not have saving faith. It has as its object the Lord God alone. Then it has as its authority, the Apostle Paul says, secondly, the Word of God. It has the Lord God as its object. It has the Word of the Lord God as its authority. That means it is the Word of God that becomes the measure of our practice, our behavior. We do what the Word of God says. And we read in verse 18 that Abraham, against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And when he says, so shall thy seed be. The Apostle Paul is going back into the Old Testament and he's reminding us of a covenant and promises that God made to Abraham. You can read them in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. It is given, it is renewed time and time again. God says unto Abraham, out of your loins, that is from you and Sarah, will come a blessing to all of the nations of this world. And so Abraham proceeded on the basis of what God said, the Word of God is the authority. 
Later on in our study, when we come over to chapter 10, verse 17, we will read these words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or hearing by the word which God speaks to us. And so faith has as its authority the word of God. And finally, I said that just as faith has as its object the Lord God alone and its authority the word of God, the kind of faith that is saving faith is not bound by circumstances. Now, the Apostle Paul reminds his readers, and he reminds you and me, that if Abraham had looked at the circumstances, Isaac, the child of promise, would never have been born because the circumstances would have made it look foolish. After all, Abraham was about 100 years of age. The way was shut forever for him to be the father of a child. Sarah, the Bible says, over 90, her womb was dead, the door was closed forever for her to give birth to a child. Those were the circumstances, the circumstances of age, the circumstances of the physical body and what happens after the years pass. But the kind of faith that is saving faith is not bound by circumstances. And people who come to know Jesus come in spite of their circumstances. I know there's some people here this morning who say, but you don't know my problems, you don't know my sin, you don't know my family, you don't know the difficulties I have, you don't know how horrible I feel, you don't know the terrible things that I have done. In spite of your circumstances, Jesus says, whosoever will may come. And the kind of faith that is saving faith is a kind of faith that is not bound by circumstances. So we see the first three characteristics of saving faith. It has the Lord God alone as its object. It has the Word of God alone as its authority, and it is not bound by any temporal human circumstances. Now, let's look at three more characteristics of saving faith. With your Bible open to chapter 4, I believe these three which I'm about to share with you are some of the most exciting things the Apostle Paul says in this entire book of Romans. The Apostle Paul says that the fourth characteristic of saving faith is that it has obedience as its external evidence. It has obedience as its external evidence. The person says, how can you know that you possess saving faith? Well, you'll see it in the life of a person who is obedient to the Lord. Now, what I'm about to say is so central to the issue of salvation and so contrary to what is preached in churches around this world that I am praying God will give you special attentiveness in the next few moments. When the Bible talks of faith, it is speaking of a total commitment of a person, not just an intellectual assent. It doesn't involve just the man, not Bible faith, just the man's mind. It involves that man, body, soul, and spirit. It involves everything he thinks, everything he is. A picture of this perhaps could be seen in, in something that you fathers have done with your children. I certainly have with mine. As they were growing up, there came that time when they were still light enough to lift. That time goes by in a hurry, but they were still light enough to lift, and you pick them up and you maybe twirl them around the air, and then you set them on the counter in the kitchen and you back up a pace or two, and you say, jump. Now, there's a distance between you and that child, but that child knows you. That child loves you. You've never dropped that child. 
It's only later that a child learns not to trust the father when either the father lets the child down or others say men are not trustworthy. And that little child of yours with absolute, and in fact it appears to be reckless abandon, without even thinking, just jumps. I mean everything, lock, stock, and barrel, just commits himself or herself to the arms of the father. Now when you become a Christian, you are not just saved in your mind. You are saved lock, stock, and barrel. It is a total commitment of yourself. And that means that you are committed not only with your thoughts, but with your actions. And obedience is the external evidence of that which has taken place internally. Now, Jesus made this very clear. He said one day, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say unto you? He said, that's rather contrary. And he went on to give them a parable. He said, there's a man who built his house on the sand, another who built his house on the rock. Those of you who call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say have no better foundation for your life than the man who built his house on the sand. It will be washed away. But those of you who hear what I say and do what I say are those of you who have a bedrock foundation which will not be changed by the circumstances which time brings along. Now, please listen. We are not saved by our faith. Uh, rather, by our works. We are not saved by doing good works. The Apostle Paul has spent a great deal of time already explaining that we are not saved by our works. But listen carefully. Neither are we saved by a faith which does not produce good works. Now, some churches get this mixed up and so they say you're saved by your works or they'll say this you're saved by your grace but you're kept by your works well i'll tell you it takes whatever it takes to save you is what it's going to take to keep you and uh, they'll say well and some of those works mean you've got to come to the church and you've got to participate in certain rituals i mean those are just some of the works you are saved by your works well you're not saved by your works but neither are you saved by a faith that doesn't produce good works because the characteristic of saving faith is that it shows itself in an obedient life. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think the Lord Jesus gave us the ordinance of baptism. Now, you're not saved by being baptized. God doesn't leave your eternal destiny up to whether water is convenient or somebody else is around because you can't baptize yourself. There'd be some people in this world who'd be in a mighty big fix because uh, they live on rationed water. I mean, there's not enough to baptize someone in. God's not going to leave your eternal destiny up to that. But the Lord Jesus has given us baptism as a sign that something has taken place inside us. It is an external picture of having died to an old way of life as we are immersed, having buried that life and having been raised to walk in newness of life with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe it's interesting that the Lord Jesus, when a man or woman trusts in him as Savior, has provided that there could immediately be something for that person to do, to do to show it. And there are many people who say, well, you know, I know you're not saved by baptism, so I'm not going to get baptized. 
then I want to tell you something. Your baptism won't save you, but your faith is under deep suspicion because the kind of faith that is saving faith is the kind of faith which shows itself externally in obedience. Now, a person says, but you know, there's so many things that are right and so many things that are wrong, and, and I don't know if I can handle all those things when I trust in Jesus. Well, you don't have to have all of your problems solved to receive Jesus Christ by faith as your Savior, but I want to tell you this, you cannot come to Jesus in saving faith and at the same time stipulate to him certain things you will not do and certain things you will do. Saving faith is the faith that comes to Jesus and says, Lord God, I am a sinner. I am coming for your grace. You can have my life. I totally trust you. I can't seem to bring about these changes for good. I am simply trusting you to work me in, work them within me. Lord, you've got to do it within me. But Lord God, I'll do whatever you lead me to do. Lord God, I will go wherever you lead me to go. I am yours. The kind of faith that is saving faith evidences itself with external obedience. Let me ask you a question. Are you right now, wherever you are, you, are, are you conscious that there is anything in the Word of God, anything God has said with which you have such an issue that you have drawn the line and said, I will not do it in regard to your giving, in regard to your moral life, in regard to your family life, in regard to your stewardship of your time and your other resources, in regard to your witness, have you drawn the line and said, God, others can do that and I'm glad you commanded me, but I won't do it. If you come before God and say, God, I have stipulations. There are some things you want me to do, I will not do them. There are some things you don't want me to do. Well, I'm going to go ahead and do them. Your faith is highly suspect because saving faith externally evidences itself with a life of obedience. Let's look at a fifth characteristic of saving faith. Saving faith is the kind of faith that acknowledges the true character of God. I love this. I don't suppose I ever really thought about it very much until we came together to this study in Romans. But I love it. The kind of faith that is saving faith is the kind of faith that acknowledges the true character of God. Look with me at verse 20. There we read that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. That word in the original language means he didn't try to judge this way or that way, which was the best. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, that word for glory is the word from which we get our little word doxology, doxa. And what that means is a, a statement of your opinion about God's perfect character. That's what a doxology is. That's what glory is. A statement of your opinion about the perfect character, the perfect nature of God. For instance, sometimes we sing the doxology. How does it go? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Every blessing comes from God. That's my opinion of God's character. Praise God, all creatures here below. It acknowledges we are all created by a holy God. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Everybody in heaven praise Him. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You see, that's a doxology. That is a statement of the true character of God. Now, the kind of faith which is saving faith 
is the kind of faith which states the true character of God. Let me explain what I mean. You see, early in the life of Abraham and Sarah, after they had been promised of God they were going to have a child and that they would be a blessing to all the nations of the world, it became obvious that Abraham and Sarah were not going to have a baby. In fact, Sarah's womb didn't just become dead, apparently, when she became 90 years of age. I mean, there was a problem all along. And this was so distressing to Sarah and so distressing to Abraham. And God had said, you're going to have offspring, you and Sarah. And this offspring will bless all the nations of the world. Sarah began to fret about that. Sarah could fret. Abraham had his problems, she had hers. That ought to give you ladies some encouragement when you read over there in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Sarah wore the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. It's obvious she didn't just lie down and become a doormat. I mean, she could be pretty insistent. And so Sarah came to Abraham and she said, I've got a plan. We're going to help God do his will. We're going to help him out. Well, what's the plan? Well, you know, when we made that trip down there to Egypt, yeah, Abraham said, I'm so sorry about that. That was an expression of my lack of faith during a famine. Well, all of that aside, Sarah said, you know, when we made that trip down and we came back, I brought back with me a little Egyptian handmaiden given to me by Pharaoh. You know, Hagar, she serves me. She's my handmaiden. Abraham said, yes. She said, she's my handmaiden. She's under my authority. I want you to go in unto her. And I want you to have offspring by her. And that'll be the child of promise. And we can fulfill God's promises. Listen, friend, you can't fulfill God's promises. God can, but you don't keep his promises for him. He keeps his own promises. And so this is exactly what Abraham did. And a boy was born and his name was Ishmael. Ishmael became actually the father of by way of Abraham, of all the people we would consider the Arab people, this is one of the reasons that the, one of the reasons the Arabs and the Jews have such difficulty. They both say, why Abraham is our father, the land belongs to us. And so God, uh, Abraham came before God and said, all right, God, I have a son now, the child of promise. And God said, that is not the child of promise. I said the child of promise would come by means of Sarah. And Ishmael did not come by means of Sarah. I have a blessing for Ishmael. He will become a great nation, but he's not the one. Why, Abraham said, oh, please, let Ishmael live before you. No, said God. Now, why would God not accept Ishmael? Because if God accepted Ishmael, when that child was born, it was no credit to God. It was a credit to Sarah and to Abraham. And God said, true faith is that which leaves me on the stage alone. And so time passed. And then it got to the point where it was absolutely impossible for them to have a child. Physically impossible for them to have a child. I mean, there was no way for them to have a child. And they had a child. Not without virtue of the marriage act. Abraham still operating in obedience according to faith. And the child Isaac was born. And the Bible says that Abraham proceeded in faith. He didn't stagger. He gave glory to God. Now, how does that apply to you and me? You know, when we go out visiting, we ask people this question. You know, just suppose you did die today and you were standing before God and God 
said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? And you know, we get some of the most unusual answers. Here's what some people say. Well, I'm a Baptist. Where does God get credit in that? Some people say, I'm a Catholic. Where do you see the true character of God in that? Somebody says, well, I've done a lot of good works. Somebody says, well, I, I try to live a good life. I'm as good as the other Christians I know. Robert Harris was telling me that some went out to visit the other night and they asked this question of a man who promptly got up and walked to the back of his house and said, follow me, open a room and showed him a bunch of trophies and he said, that's my answer. Now, where does God get the glory in that? You see, saving faith is the kind of faith in which the true character of God is evidenced. And you don't give credit to, God, to man or to the church or to yourself. Sometimes people say, well, how do you know you say, Well, I tell you, bless God, I had some wonderful God-fearing parents. They took me to church. They were just so wonderful. And, and I mean, you know, I know I'm saved because they were so wonderful. How do you know you're saved? Oh, I go to a wonderful church. I tell you, I go down there to First Southern, and they sing, and they praise God. And I went forward in that church, and I talked to a counselor, and I got baptized. How do you know that you're, oh, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Catholic. Oh, listen, I try to do the best I can. In none of that does God get the praise. And the kind of faith that is saving faith is the kind of faith that says, bless God, he did it, not me. I just received it by faith. One man was asked what his part was in salvation. He said, oh, God is so wonderful. God's so merciful, he just stooped down in grace and saved me. No, you misunderstand me. What did you have to do to be saved? You know, God, God's grace is so wonderful that in spite of all of my sins, he just, he just sent Jesus down to this earth to save me. And they said, no, you misunderstand. We want to be saved. That's the reason we're asking you, what is your part? What was your part in getting saved? Here's what he said. I ran and I ran and I ran until God in his wonderful and matchless and marvelous grace reached down and saved me. You see, the kind of faith that is saving faith is the kind of faith that evidences the true character of God. Let's look at one other evidence of saving faith. And I suppose this one is the one with which most people struggle. The kind of faith that is saving faith is the kind of faith that is perfectly, now I use that word advisedly, it is perfectly convinced that God is capable of doing what he promises. Let me say it again. The kind of faith that is saving faith is the kind of faith that is perfectly convinced. Look what the Apostle Paul says in verse 21. Being fully persuaded, perfectly convinced that what he had promised he was able also to perform. Now listen carefully. Any church, any preacher, please listen, any church, any preacher, any believer that says in order to be justified, in order to be saved, in order to have your sins forgiven, that you trust in God and participate in this ritual, come every week, get baptized, do this, do that. Anyone that preaches that does not believe that God is capable of doing what he promised. Because they're saying it takes faith in God and your good works. It takes faith in God and some ritual. It takes faith in God and you've got to come back every week and talk to this pastor or that priest. It takes faith in God and something. 
And the Apostle Paul says, I want you to know it just takes God plus nothing to save you. That's all it takes, just God, just God. And I'm fully persuaded, Abraham said, look, I'm fully persuaded that God is completely capable of doing what he promised. It doesn't take God any other kind of church, any other kind of machinery, any other kind of ritual, any other kind of religious exercise. It just takes God. Now listen, some of you have friends and relatives and you sort of smile at them in your heart, you say, bless their heart. They're in one of those kind of churches. They believe you've got to go do this every Sunday or go every, once every week and you've got to see somebody and you've got to participate in this and they take care of that. And you just sort of smile and say, you know, um, they're, they're just a little wrong. I want you to know something. It's not a matter of being a little wrong. A person who does not believe that it is God alone does not have saving faith. I realize that's hard. You see, you look out here and you see some cold, lost, hard, callous criminal and you say, man, that guy, he's lost. He's going to a devil's hell. Look at the way he lives. Look at the way he acts. And you look over there at your aunt and your uncle and your mother and your father and they dress up every Sunday and they go down and they do their little thing and uh, they come home and they say, well, I go to church. And you say, isn't that wonderful? Well, they're a little misguided, but isn't that wonderful? Let me tell you something. Anybody who does not have saving faith will spend eternity in a devil's hell. Because saving faith, now see, some of you are saying, but you can't say that about this person or that person. They are so sincere. Friends, sincerity is not the issue. I can show you these Hare Krishna people. They're sincere. I mean, you cut off most of your hair when some of us are trying to get it. You've got to be sincere. <laughs> they're sincere. You say, but they're so wonderful, and I love them so much. If you love them all that much, why don't you tell them what kind of faith is saving faith? That is faith in the Lord God alone, faith which has the Word of God as its authority, faith which is not bound by circumstances, faith which evidences itself in obedience, faith which gives glory to God alone, and faith which is completely convinced that God can do everything He promised. Ralph Spees and I were some months ago over way back in the interior, interior of Africa. We were in that part down there which used to be called the Belgian Congo on the backside of Tanzania down by Lake Tanganyika where the great famed Livingston was first a missionary and then an explorer. In fact, Ralph went down there by that tree near Kagoma on Lake Tanganyika where it was that Stanley found Livingston after searching for him for a great length of time. And everybody knows about Livingston the explorer, Livingston the adventurer, Livingston the missionary of God. One day, Livingston, resting beneath a tree, was approached by one of his national African guides who came to him and said, Sir, there's big trouble Right up this road, right up this path where you're going, there is an African tribe, ruthless, cruel, and they have said that at the first sight of you, they're going to kill you. And they have already sent their warriors out with their poison and their spears to find you. Sir, we must run, and whatever you do, you must not press forward. And Livingston didn't even rise from his position there underneath that tree 
And he looked at that man and he said, you know, there was a promise given to me. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always. God is a gentleman. I have the word of a gentleman. And a gentleman never breaks his promise. Up, let's press on. He was a man who said, I am perfectly convinced that God is capable of keeping his promises. What kind of faith is saving faith? Can you get it out and measure it in a test tube? That's not the issue. But we do know some of its character. It has the Lord God alone as its object. It has the Word of God as its authority. It's not bound or hindered by circumstances. It shows itself outwardly in an obedient life. It reveals the true character of God and is perfectly convinced that God is capable of doing all that he promises. Do you have saving faith? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, my prayer is that in these next few moments your Holy Spirit will simply move right through this congregation. Lord, I pray there'd be people, religious people, church-going people, good people on the world standards who would be willing to shuck off their ideas about what it takes to get saved. And say, Father, I just want to express my faith in you today and you alone. All of my credentials will not be carried in my hip pocket to heaven. It's what's in my heart that you, you're looking at right now, dear God. And dear God, as you look at my heart, you know whether there's been a time when I have come to you and to you alone for salvation. You know whether I'm trusting in my heritage or my works or my church or my appearances. Father, I pray this morning there'd be many who'd come to say yes. Yes, yes, Jesus. By faith, the kind of faith that is saving faith, I receive you as my Savior. I trust you as my Lord. And I pray these things in the wonderful, matchless name of Jesus. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Our counselors are right here at the front. We have come to invitation time. Some of you already know the decisions you ought to make. If that's the case, you ought to just get up and make them right now. God bless you. Just come on. God's put it in your heart. You don't have to have anybody say anything else to you. I mean, it's just a settled issue. You may have prayed about it this week. You may have thought about it in this service for the very first time. And you know there's a decision you need to make for Jesus. I want to encourage you to come on. Whatever you do, you just right there in a the spirit of prayer. Don't distract anyone, disturb anyone. Just determine, this morning I'm going to do exactly what God by His Spirit places on my heart. This morning I'm going to say yes to Jesus. And if you know what decision that is that you ought to make as an individual or as a family member, I want to encourage you right now, you just stand to your feet quickly, make your way to the nearest aisle, make your way forward. One of these counselors will be here to greet you, to pray with you. We'll go to a prayer room, private prayer room, and you just settle it there with God in less time than it takes for me to tell it. And so I want to encourage you to come right now and say yes to Jesus. Would you do that? God bless you as you come. This is invitation time. It is your 
personal invitation to say yes to Jesus. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and even as I'm speaking right now, you just get up wherever you are. Come out of the balcony, down these steps, or down the back, wherever you are. You just get up. People are already coming. That's it. God bless you. Thank you, sir, son. God bless you. Others, you just come on. Just stand to your feet and say, this morning, I'm deciding for Jesus. This morning, we're coming to say yes to Jesus. This is your invitation to settle it this morning. I want to encourage you, whoever you are, you just come on right now. Young man, young mom, woman, mom, dad, husband, wife, whoever you are, you just get up. That's it. God bless you. And come on and say, look, I want to settle it this morning. I don't want this service to end. I don't want this service to end without having settled my account with the Lord. I want to know, and I want to know that I know. Let me ask you a question. Do you know for certain that you have eternal life? Do you know that for certain? The Bible says you can know it. Did you know that? The Bible says you can know it. These things have I written unto you who believe on the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life. You can know that. Do you know it? I want to encourage you, if you don't know it, just to come forward, take the hand of a counselor and say, look, I want to settle it. I want to become a Christian this morning. This is your invitation to make your decision for Jesus. Please don't let anything disturb you or distract you right now. This is the most important issue. Don't be a disturbance to anybody else. This is the most important issue that you'll ever settle. And so I want to encourage you to come right now and say, look, I want to settle that. I want to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus is in my heart, that I have eternal life, that my sins are forgiven. Perhaps you haven't settled that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John said, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. Paul said, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you receive that gift this morning by faith, just as a gift? You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it, deserve it, go through any ritual to get it. Just reach out, stretch right through by faith this morning and say, I want to trust in Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus. Would you come on right now? Just stand up where you are. Come like others have come and say, I want to trust in Jesus this morning. You know, the devil would love to distract you. He may put something or someone around you that'll keep your attention distracted. I want to encourage you. Just focus right now upon Jesus and what it is that Jesus is speaking to your heart by his spirit and through his word. And just come on this morning and say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I want you as my Savior. Yes, Jesus, I want you as my Lord. God bless you. Others are coming. Just join them. You know, it could be that since the day you trusted in Jesus as your Savior, since that day, you've never followed the Lord's command to be baptized. Now, maybe you were baptized before you are saved. Maybe you didn't even know what was going on. You know, somebody just did it to you as a baby or you just did something because somebody told you to. But since the day that you've been saved, I mean, since the day you became aware you had eternal life, you've never publicly profess that through the symbol of baptism. It could be the very thing that's keeping you from victory. You know, you said, well, you don't, you don't get saved by being baptized, so you just dug in your heels and dragged it along, and you've never had real victory. This morning, God's spoken to you about obedience through His Word, by His Spirit. The kind of faith that is saving faith has as its external evidence obedience. And Jesus commands believers to be baptized, not in order to get saved, not before you're saved, but after you're saved. 
And if you haven't been scripturally baptized since the day you trusted in Jesus, I want to encourage you, whoever you are, wherever you're seated, you just stand up, make your way to the nearest aisle, come down here and find one of these counselors and say, look, I'm a believer in Christ who needs to be baptized. I want to encourage you to come right now. Perhaps you're here, you're not a member of this church. Individual, mom, dad, family, couple, single person. And God's just said this is where you belong. Once you come right now, just stand up, make your way forward, join others who've already come. Look, we want to plant our lives here. We want to serve Jesus right here. We want to share the gospel, reach around the world with love right from this corner, this local representation of the body of Christ. I encourage you to come and make that decision. The altar is open. Others are even here praying right now. You come and join them. If God's put something on your heart, some other decision, find a counselor, share it. Come to the prayer rail and pray. This is your invitation. Have you settled it in your heart this morning that today you will say yes to Jesus? Have you settled it? Well, then let's stand together. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're going to sing. The choir is singing. You just step to the aisle. That's it. God bless you. Just come on right now. Right now I'm saying yes to Jesus this morning.